Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Noise, the podcast series from PR Week. I'm Frankie Oliver, your host and founder of New Society. And today I'm joined by Joe Carr, co-founder of Hope and Glory and president of Women in PR, Joanne Robertson, CEO of Global Markets for Ketchum, and Ange Balakrishnan, Executive Director of Strategic Communications and Public Affairs at the Information Commissioner's Office. I managed to get that all out in one, which is amazing. So welcome, <laughs> ladies. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thanks. For thanks, Frankie. So on the last show, we asked if the PR industry is doing enough to support ethnic diversity in its workforce, given the shocking pay gap revealed in this year's PR Week Pay Gap Report. So this week, we are turning our attention to whether the PR industry is doing enough to also close the gender pay gap and support women. Jo, Joanne and I spoke about this subject earlier this year for International Women's Day, but we felt that we could have gone a bit further with our conversation in terms of getting underneath some of the really challenging and often silent issues that still exist inside the industry. So I'm really pleased that we've all come back together. I'm obviously delighted that Anne just agreed to join us for the conversation too. So ladies, let's get going. Turning to you first, Jo, um, we know that the PR industry gender pay gap is still sitting at around 25% inside agencies and, and less actually in-house at 6%. What do you think is still considering to drive this gender pay gap, especially in agencies? Um, and also what's really underneath all of this? Is this about pay parity at certain levels or is this much like uh, the research that we were looking at on the last show around women really not progressing to senior positions? What, what's at the nub of it, do you think? It's really fascinating, isn't it? Because women are the absolute engine room of our industry, yet men are still very much in the driving seat. And it's maddening. I don't know. They're like cream. They just rise to the top. It shouldn't <laughs> be like that. Um, and when you think that our industry is so female dominated with 67% of you know, women in the industry, 
I, I don't understand why there aren't more in board level positions. Something is going significantly wrong and it's not about pay parity because as an industry, I think we're pretty good at that. And in fact, it's illegal not to pay equally. Um, so quite frankly, I think women are feeling blocked. They're feeling uh, bullied sometimes. They're feeling burnt out and they're just bailing. They are bailing. They are leaving our industry in droves in their 30s and 40s. And it's a shame. And I think that's really what's behind the difference uh, in pay. It's just less women in, in those senior roles. So it's bewildering, really, isn't it, to be in this situation where we are in 2023. So, Joanne, what do you think continues to drive this ongoing glass ceiling? And we'll come and look at some of the deeper issues around burnout and why people are just leaving. But what's at the heart of this glass ceiling, do you think? Well, I think one of them at the core of it really goes beyond our industry. It's a deep societal issue because... There is a you know, that constant discussion about can women have it all? But the reality is you can only have it all if you do it all. And what I mean by that is you have to do it all in the home, with the children, when caring for elderly parents, and then smash it at work. You know, there's not a moment where women kind of get the right level of support that they need in order to really thrive in the workplace, particularly at the highly demanding, high-pressure C-suite level. So there's a really core thing we need to address in society about the balance of responsibility outside of work before we can then really drive progress or more progress in work. But then there's also a real need for employers to lean in and put their money where their mouth is. We hear a lot of talk about the support for women uh, in the workplace and in terms of progressing into senior roles. But I'm sure if we did a proper audit of whether what we say, in, particularly in the industry world, and what we do to really genuinely support women through you know, financial support as well as you know, real coaching, advice, pathways and progress to the C-suite, I think you would find it's only a small minority of agencies who are actually doing what they say. And Ange, do you feel that some of these issues are also represented in-house? Absolutely. Um, and I mean, it obviously depends organisation to organisation. And I can only speak uh, having worked in the third sector and the public sector. Um, but I recognise a lot of what um, Joe and Joanne have described. Um, I've had some really positive experiences where I've worked in organisations um, where, you know, women have been in leadership roles, they've been supported to go on maternity leave, to come back, to step up um, uh, on return and, and take even more uh, senior roles um, and, uh, you know, manage manage the kind of juggle. But I've also been in positions where, um, you know, it's been really difficult. It's been really traumatic for some women returning back um, into the workplace after mat leave. Um, but it all comes down to the kind of leadership and culture around you. And I remember as a young person, joining government communications, you know, you take your cues from the people that you see around you. And when I first started, there were a few women in those leadership roles, but they didn't talk about their family life. They didn't give any nod to the fact that they were you know, having to juggle. It kind of felt like you had to keep that aspect of yourself hidden. And I remember feeling really anxious about that next phase of my life. You know, if I wanted to have a family, if I wanted to, you know, uh, move on to the next part of my life would I still be able to be in this industry would I still be able to progress um, those fears are really real and 
while I think, um, you know, in terms of public sector communications, we've seen lots of progress in terms of women getting into those leadership roles, those fears are still really real. I see them all the time. I see women scared about talking about their family and, you know, announcing their pregnancies because of that that kind of judgment that they feel it would just end end their career prospects. So, Joe, going back to what you said, your first answer there, do you therefore feel that we are at breaking point then as an industry? You know, what's going to give if we think about what Joanne's just said around, you know, the societal picture impacting on agencies, the agencies therefore not responding in the way that they need to because society isn't moving them fast enough in that direction. We're a female-dominated industry. We need thriving, brilliant women inside our industry to progress. And is obviously hearing similar issues that sit inside you know, some departments, but obviously it very much depends on the leadership. But if we're looking at the burnout survey that, you know, women in, in PR recently did that showed that two thirds of women have considered leaving their positions in senior positions, is it a breaking point? Or are we just going to suck it up? <laughs> I think we're getting there. I know. I, I mean, I, let's face it. There, there's been great progress in many ways. And we have some phenomenal female leaders in our industry. So let, let's not uh, forget that. But, um, you know, there's a lot of women, two thirds, who wanted to quit um, or thought about quitting because the juggle has become very, very real. And the truth is, the more senior you become, uh, the harder it is to talk about it. And I think 60% in our survey that we did at Women in PR, that they, they said they didn't know how to verbalize it. They didn't know who to talk to. And for me, it's the talking about it. It's being, going back to Angie's point of being, having role models and seeing women who've been through it and who are talking very openly about their experiences. And I think if we don't do that, and we don't do that quite quickly, we're going to lose even more brilliant women from our, our career. So is there a plan inside Women in PR to, to look at this and take this further potentially as an issue to start us, you know, being able to talk about it so that we can start to bring these issues inside our organisations and actually deal with them rather than them potentially being swept up underneath the carpet, as it were? Yeah, 100%. And, and there was a seminar last week where some very senior women in our industry, you know, stepped forward along with a psychologist to talk about their experiences of burnout, which I think really is a big, you know, big step forward that people are happy to go on the record and talk about it uh, and, you know, and face the, you know, try and avoid the stigma that has sat around burnout in the past. Uh, we, we're talking to employers and giving advice as to what they can do and also talking to, to women in our industry and, and, and what to do, how to flag it when they feel that things are slightly getting out of control. I mean, the, the story's always been, hasn't it, that, you know, you can't, you really can't, you know, give from an empty cup. You can't run on an empty tank. But there's an expectation in our industry that we have to almost run on fumes. Like we are working very long hours. It's a very 24-7 type of industry. And it's down, I think, to us as individuals to set boundaries. And it's down to the organizations that we work for and with to help us set those boundaries and to start to look at the workload. Well, I think we should definitely look into some of the specific issues that, that women are facing and how their employers can help them. But I think if I gosh, think back, I remember a survey that was done years ago, which said that uh, being a PR professional was the second most stressful job to being an air traffic control, <laughs> basically, because there are so many things flying at you from so many different directions. And let's face it, we're not in the paid space, are we? We're in very much the earned space where there's a whole other dimension of things that can crop up that we don't 
aren't necessarily able to plan for. And then alongside that, we've got technology and that's just completely thrown the workplace and, and how we manage that. And it isn't just, you know, women ascending, there's young people suffering with mental health issues and burnout and so forth. So there's a multitude of factors that are going on here. But looking specifically then at, at some of the kind of very sort of female driven issues, the return to work around maternity leave is obviously a, a really challenging time for both the woman coming back, for the team and for the employer, and obviously for the clients involved as well. Um, but I think it's probably hardest most on the woman that's coming back from maternity leave. It's interesting to just talk about some of those issues and how what are the things that are potentially cropping up as really challenging issues as, as that person's coming back from maternity leave that then can also lead us into think about what is it that an employer can do much better when it comes to um, supporting somebody when they're coming back. So if I just think about some of the things that, you know, some women can experience, you know, the job that they left may not be the job that they came back to. There can be a shift in power structures. There can be a shift in terms of the way that the team is now organizing themselves around that role and how well they can reintegrate themselves. Often reported low confidence. They're also managing the whole shift in purview and their change of values and their purview of the world and, and how it is. And then just the sheer practicalities of integrating a very big, big job and you know crazy hours alongside now having this very small, vulnerable person that might be up twice a night um, and managing the practicalities of that. And then also the childcare costs that come underneath that with um, actually ensuring that you've got somebody to look after your baby when you go to work. So. I mean, those are just the starter for ten. What, what are your <laughs> What are your thoughts, Joanne? Specifically, on does does that seem reflective of? Do you think a lot of the main issues that really somebody needs to be thinking about, and what an employer needs to be thinking about supporting somebody when they come back? Yeah, look, taking time out for family leave, and I call it family leave specifically because the man can also take time out to look after the baby but you know we've had hundreds of years of it being the women's sole responsibility but taking time out of the workplace is you know disorientating and we are in a very fast-paced industry and so things will have changed whether you take three months six months a whole year whatever it is the world will have changed and so I think we as women, uh, as, a, as individuals, have a responsibility to take a bit of control of that and to really plan and think about how do you want to use that time. Now, for a lot of women, that will be to be completely out of the workplace for a year, and that is a brilliant choice to make. For me, I took six months out. But I used all of my keeping in touch days during that time because I wanted to feel a sense of connection to work. So there's different ways in which you can manage your own leave but from an employer point of view you have these people in your organization because they're fantastic at what they do so put in place all the support you can and one organization i'd really recommend that we use at ketchum is called the comeback community uh, and it supports women before during and after uh, having a baby and it's a whole range of resources from online support peer-to-peer -peer support q and a sessions workshops but most importantly a one-to-one -one coach of someone who's been through it before who's there to answer all the scary questions or maybe you feel it's a stupid question but surround using the employer using resources to really put some infrastructure around those on family leave i think is really important and Joe, do you have any thoughts and recommendations on this issue and how best to manage the return to work? Yeah, I would build on what Joanne said, actually. I mean, at Hope and Glory, we have a coaching program. So any 
actually female or male returner coming back into the workplace has a session, has three sessions with a coach and they can really look at how they're going to balance the, this new world order because it's very different. You are juggling uh, at your previous <laughs> relatively high powered job with caring responsibilities and you're not really, no one's really shown you how to do that before. So I think anything that we can give, um, any support that we can give to help our team set the right boundaries so they, they, they're set up for success is really important. So I think that's key. I think easing people back in, not, you know, you hear horror stories of people going in on their first day from a maternity leave and being put on the most important pitch that agency is going to do all year. Let's not do that. That's not fair. Um, and I know that people are ambitious and they want to prove themselves when they come back. But I think you actually have to just give people a bit of time to resettle uh, and get back up to speed. And reflecting on all of this from an in-house and a specifically government perspective, you know, do you think these things, these issues are being embraced and well handled inside in-house departments? Um, again, as I said, it's a mixed picture. And it very much depends on the organization and the culture and leadership at the top. But I mean, just um, reflecting on what Joe and Joanne said, I really love the idea of like women feeling able to sort of take control of how they structure their leave, um, keep in touch and, and not feeling like they need to be, they need to wait to hear from their employer that they have a, 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 a role to play in, in, in shaping that. Um, from the employer perspective, I think the things that I've seen that are positive are, recognizing the individual so um it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all approach being empathetic putting yourself in the shoes of the woman that's returning and and seeing her for all that she is you know she 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 has changed she has got um these other caring responsibilities she's just been through you know the most amazing but probably grueling um nine or however the months of um of her life and 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 just talking to her about what she wants and how she wants to do it, you know, I think there's there's two things around not kind of uh, overloading women straight away when they come back in, but also recognizing they're still ambitious, they still want to you know do the the big projects, and supporting them so that they can do those things. You know, don't don't rule them out of the game when they come back from maternity leave, but but make it make find a way to make it make it work for. Them. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And looking specifically at those sort of coaching and supporting people when they first come in, I mean, it's sort of, we all remember that the, everybody remembers when you first come back, 
But actually, it's the year, it's the first year and 18 months that actually can also be the hardest bit when you're really living it and feeling it and having to deliver in your new role and navigate all of these pieces. What do you think can best support women during that time? And I think we've all confidentially heard of stories of people having very difficult times and kind of coming back and feeling like their role has been lost to a certain extent. That can be a really challenging experience for women. You know, how, how do they speak up? How do they find their voice? And how can they best be supported across the first couple of years, not just the first couple of months? Jo, I'm looking specifically at you on this one. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think... Um agency and in-house is, is it can be a tough gig and and as Angela said a few times now that actually the leadership style of those organizations is really important and we work in an industry where it's the it's a cult of the personality and there are many an organization that have been kind of built in the in almost in the um image of the founders and that's that could be great if they're very progressive not so great if they're not and I think that can also add another level of um, or more burden to those pe- you know, women who have come back into the industry trying to navigate workplaces that are ha- perhaps a little bit unforgiving. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Joe. And I'd say, you know, I have had a number of women come and work with me who I would, and I'm not even joking when I say this, I've got PTSD from how they were treated both before, during and after they came back from maternity leave. And things that for even someone who doesn't have caring responsibilities, I would have found the way they were treated shocking. For example, a woman saying she needed to make sure she left by six each day, to which I puzzledly looked at her and said, oh, is that when your office hours finished? And she said, no, 5.30. But I was told if I was going to leave at six each day, I had to do it very quietly, that it wasn't going to be given permission. I had to do it by the back door. And she just had her first baby. Like that that sort of behaviour is still rife across of our industry. And I think to the point made earlier, I think Ange made this point about role models. I think if you're a senior woman, whether you've had children or not, to be honest, but if you've made it into the C suite of our industry, being open and vulnerable about the challenges we all continue to face, whether we whatever role we've got to. But also when I returned uh, to work after maternity leave, I think I said this in the last podcast, I had a complete focus on leaving loudly. So rather than sneaking out at the door at five when I had to go pick up my first baby, Kior, I'd say very loudly to anyone who was listening, I'm off to pick up my baby now. And people would say, oh, but you'll be online later. And I'd say, well, only if I really have to be. I'm bloody exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that's really important. Like a lot of times people say you make it look really easy like you're a superwoman, like you can do it all. And it's like, well, I do my best every day, but it's really, really hard. And to Joe's point, there's times when I've it's crossed my mind, God, can I keep doing this? Can I keep doing it all uh, when everything's expected of me? And it, it's hard. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. So helping and supporting and being honest about that, I think is really important. And I think maybe alongside that, maybe being quite careful about who you're working for, right? Who is the leadership team? 100%. (laughs) And maybe when you're going off to have a baby, really thinking quite seriously about what you might be coming back to and how your needs are going to change and whether the job that you took before you had a baby is still the job that you necessarily want when you come back from having a baby. It's probably really worth um, thinking about. So and just thinking specifically, I think it was so brilliant what you said there about thinking very specifically about the person, (laughs) 
which is so true, isn't it? Because every woman's experience, everybody's birth, everybody's experience of having a child is so different. Everybody's different attitudes. Yay, I'm going back to work. And somebody might, oh, no, I'm going back to work. You know, very, very different spaces for people. But thinking very specifically also about issues that might be relevant to women of color who are also coming back and what that means for them. Are there any specific issues that you think need to be raised inside the industry for us to be talking about and understanding? Yeah, I think there's not just about women necessarily returning from mat leave, but just thinking about women of colour in the industry and some of the kind of things that they may be facing. And it really came to light for me in a conversation I had in one of my last jobs um, where we were talking about progression and we were, there were these um, small kind of speed dating uh, workshops where we were talking with a range of women from uh, ethnic backgrounds and who were covering a range of roles and levels of seniority. One of the things that cropped up was, you know, culturally, often, you, you know, women are expected to be very respectful of their elders, respectful of men, you know, challenging or talking back or being really assertive can be seen as, as bad qualities. You know, we shouldn't be too feisty, we shouldn't be too vocal, too forward. But that can kind of sit counter to some of the qualities, you know, consciously or subconsciously that are looked for in the workplace and in leadership roles. Um, so, you know, I've talked about, like Joanne's point about, you know, shaping your mat leave, asserting your, your voice and, and how you want to sort of uh, return to work and, and, and manage your leave. But that can be quite difficult if that's not kind of natural to your, your, your culture. And actually kind of made me realise as well, I've probably conditioned myself to adopt characteristics that I thought I needed to succeed. I'm naturally quite shy. I probably found it quite difficult to speak up in meetings. I would trail off, um, you know, before I uh, finished making a point. I'd sit, you know, not in in a room where I could hide and make myself smaller. Um, and I know I recognise these these um, uh, issues in in other women of colour. And I think it's just again being being alert to that um, and how you can again provide that support to um, women from uh, a diverse range of ethnic backgrounds. So is that about an ongoing? confidence training that potentially needs to be there really because we are fighting against social norms all the time aren't we the women who speak up are potentially othered by other people inside the organization or seem to be the difficult woman um so you know what's the answer to that do you think and so I think, you know, confidence comes into it in part, but I think it's also recognising and valuing different leadership styles and traits. Um, you know, you don't always need to be the loudest um, or the kind of most assertive to succeed. Sometimes the person who is more softly spoken, you know, is still highly valued, still brilliant at their job. Um, but that is something that I think a lot of women of colour have found it difficult to to overcome. They're kind of thought of as not as ambitious, not as, um, you know, hungry for the job just because they, they might be a bit quieter, a bit more reserved, but that's just part of their cultural background. So I think we just need to value that diversity in, in, in leadership styles and styles and how we approach the role. So really sort of looking at the macro picture here and really thinking about the way that society is, well, we need society to change, but also all of the massive issues that are going on in the world um, around poverty, inequality, the climate crisis, the shift towards organizations needing to be much more well-being led, that we potentially are going to need a much more well-being led economy with a different set of values that often are by many thought leaders thought to be feminine values. 
How can you see this playing through? If we were going to give hope to any woman that was listening to this podcast about there is a future and there is a vision of a, of a world that we can create and organizations that can operate and, 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 and contribute and, and create that wonderful new world. What is it that potentially you think you can do inside your organizations to kind of shift to those sorts of principles? And how does that impact in terms of the relationships and the contracts and so forth that you might have with your stakeholders and your clients and so forth? Because if you look at some of the burnout stuff, for example, Joe, with the, with the research that, that you recently did, you know, a lot of this is because of agency decreasing margins and there not being enough people to service the high level of a minimum of 20% profit or whatever it may be. And actually, where do you reimagine the kind of output of that business in terms of it not just being profit, but people, planet, and, and those sorts of foundations? Where are we going with a kind of vision that will enable us to step into that? Agencies typically can be quite laggy behind their clients in terms of delivering that. But, but really, if we want to stay on the front foot and keep all of these women inside our organizations, isn't that where we need to be moving, Joe? That's a really big question. I'm not quite <laughs> sure where to start with that, but, but I agree. And I think there is already uh, signs of hope. There are definitely organizations that are much more progressive, who are looking at this, they may have become B Corps, they may not be B Corps, but they are still applying that kind of people, planet, positive approach. So it's not just about profit. But I do think we have a problem as an industry with the margin, um, because if we want to encourage people to have a life outside of work, I would hazard a guess that a lot of agencies have made their money on the hours between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m., Right. It's, it's the time outside of work. And so I think as an industry, we're going to have to really lean into that and put up our prices and be a lot feistier, I think, with our clients about what our time costs, because we can't just rely on people's goodwill and the fact that they will were happy to kind of get in early, work late. Uh, and I think if we are going to address that sort of well-being element and life-work balance, then there has to be some quite tough conversations around money, because I think that's been the undoing in many places of, of why the hours are so long. Joanne, would you agree with that? I do agree with that. Um, I, I would also say that we have to be realistic with people too. You know, we're talking about getting women in our industry into the C-suite at that C-level. Yeah, it's not easy and it's not a nine-to-five job. There is things you have to deal with. It is fast-paced. It is high-pressure. You know, for a lot of us, that's part of the reason we're attracted to be in the C-suite. So, there is a bit of give and take. I also think as an industry, we have to make the transition, and we've probably been talking about it since the day I entered this industry over 20 years ago, from time-based value to actual outcome value. Because at the end of the day, this time-based system that we work in, particularly as agencies, drives that long hours culture. But actually what clients want from us is really strong deliverables and outputs and outcomes and impact, positive impact for their organisation. And that's got to be an industry challenge. We've got to come together and push back on some of the centuries, obviously centuries, decades old norms that um, have defined how we run our businesses. So that, that does relate to margin, that does relate to pricing, it does relate to value. Um, and it's a big job, but we'll only achieve it if we come together to do it. So and thinking about you from a client perspective and taking on board an agency, and obviously we've all been on the end of, you know, the very helpful side of procurement, but also sometimes the unhelpful side of procurement where it is very time-based. Can you imagine 
a world where you can move to a more kind of values-based versus time model? Uh, absolutely. I think Joanne's point about, you know, output and impact is is where the focus has got to be. Um, and, you know, the same goes in-house when you're dealing with a whole host of internal clients. You know, we've got to focus on creating that environment of trust. Uh, it's not about the number of hours that you put in. Um, it's about the work that you deliver at the end of it and the impact that it's making. And that's really got to be the focus. But that yeah, that requires a kind of a shift in mindset, a shift in how we're kind of looking at these things. And it, it really depends on being able to trust, you know, whether it's the agency um, that we're hiring or the people in our teams doing the work um, and having those difficult conversations, again, whether it's with your um, client internally, your CEO to kind of look after your people. If that's where if that's where you're investing, uh, if that's what you're investing in, you've, you've got to stand by it. And it requires some brave conversations sometimes. Joe, is there, I feel like, is there a moment here for women in PR or the PRCA, the AAR, all of these organizations to be coming together and having a really frank and open conversation about the um, business model that currently is kind of sat at the heart of PR and what it's now doing in terms of the, the really negative impacts it's now having in terms of its people and potentially how it needs to change? I agree. I think we should be coming together. I think we're all slightly operating in silos. That's never a good thing. Uh, I think there's a lot of learnings that each of the organizations could bring. Um, and there's certainly a lot of research that we should all be sharing as well about what's working in what areas and what's not. Uh, I think there is definitely scope for more cross-functional or cross-body working. Uh, I think it's really important. I think, yeah. Absolutely. If we're going to protect the industry, we've got so many talented people, men and women in our industry. Uh, we don't want to see any of them being blocked or falling out because we haven't given them the right support. I, I mean, we're a people business. That's, we've always have been. It's a fantastic industry to work in. Right? We all, that's why we're here. We love it. Uh, and I really want to protect it for the future. So, ladies, that brings us to the end of what I feel is a much bigger conversation. And I feel like we should be dialing in the PRCA and everybody else to join the conversation now. Hopefully we will. Maybe it's another time. But just to finish on just this, this final question, which is, if a woman could create the best PR agency or in-house department in the world, what's the what would they do? Maybe let's just start with one thing, because I feel like there's a whole other podcast. But Joe, to you, what would be your one thing that you would do? Wow. Uh, one thing I would do, actually, I'd put health, female health in the middle of that conversation. I think if men had periods, I think uh, support, support, support. <laughs> the world would still work. I think I think support for female health would be completely different. And so I think if we were going to, yeah, I would put female health in, at the heart of it and really understanding what female employees want. I feel like there's a headline there. If men had periods, the PR industry would be a different place, right? Anyway, so right. Joanne, to you. Uh, I think I probably, I mean, loads of things. You can imagine my list is very long, but I think one place where we haven't really cracked it yet is making job shares more of the norm. I think that would be a big step forward. I just add on that one, um, a client of mine at Diageo worked on a job share for the last 10 years of her career. And it's just amazing listening to somebody just make it work. It was no drama. It yeah. worked. It was, it was totally fine. So some, and actually, you know, organizations like Diageo have been very progressive with flexible working and stuff. So it is totally possible. It's just whether that organization yeah. wants to support it or not. And finally, and to you. 
What do you oh, think? Gosh. Um, just to say as well, JobShare has seen so many great successful ones um, in the public sector. But what would I say? I would champion a different type of leadership um, and the culture that comes with it. So, you know, we don't need to be always the most uh, poised, polished, perfect strong i think there's so much strength in being empathetic being a bit vulnerable being open being real uh you know showing our our flaws um and and that i think would just change so much of how we approach um this industry well i think there's just so much to dig into there for potentially even the next show isn't it which is how to make job shares work how to make men realize what it's like to have a period and how we change our leadership style to be much more empathetic and vulnerable for this great new world that we think we we women can have a role in playing. So uh, sadly, that brings us to the end of this show because I'd love to keep talking. Thank you, ladies, to you both uh, for joining us. And thank you so much to everybody um, that's been listening. Um, we look forward to you joining us next time. 